Before we begin the episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Chin Up Goggles, the new generation of vision training. Its simplistic design eliminates downward vision, improving a player's spatial awareness, anticipation, skill acquisition and execution. The findings have been supported by scientific research in CIT, now MTU. Be sure to visit chinupgoggles.com for more. Welcome back to the Sideline Live podcast. You can follow us over on Twitter and Instagram at the Sideline Live. We'd love to hear from you. On episode 105, I'm glad to be joined by Kerry Senior Football Selector and former Leash Senior Football Manager Mike Quirk. In this episode, we discuss player development, David Clifford, how his time at Leash shaped his approach with Kerry, playing multiple sports, and so much more. I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with Mike, so I hope you enjoy. Thanks a million for joining me on the podcast. No matter, Orla. Good to be here. You're a fellow podcast host. Um, will it be making a comeback anytime soon in the off season? Yeah, do you know what I was thinking? I was thinking about it. Yeah, I was thinking maybe there, kind of November, December, I might knock out a few. Um, you know, give maybe another eight or ten of them, maybe just to do something, keep me busy that time. Yeah, good stuff. What was your uh, your biggest learning from the podcast? I know you had a really interesting guest on, um, but what was the biggest learning from you? Did you any particular takeaways from the guests? Um, I suppose the mechanics of the whole process, first of all, were, were as you're, I'm sure, after finding out, like it's, it's, um, it's something I had never done before, or really, I had nothing, I had no idea what I was doing, and I kind of figured out as I went. Um, so the mechanics of it was probably the biggest learning in editing it and and being able to put it out in, in a kind of a fashion that would, you know, get people to listen. Um, and then yeah, some of the guests obviously were really, really fascinating, and and you pick up loads from those people as well, but. Uh, I'd say the biggest, the biggest thing definitely was was just the whole, the whole uh, production of the whole thing, you know. Yeah, there's definitely more work in it than people realise, and I learned myself uh, fairly early on. Is yeah. that who, if I was to give you the dream, you know, the key to anybody, who would be the dream guest? Um, you know, I was actually talking about somebody recently uh, playing golf. Um, he's got a great, a great friend of his, is Rick Pitino, a guy who would have coached big time college basketball in the states and would have coached the NBA. Uh, and is coaching kind of low level college stuff at the moment now and he, he'd be a really fascinating guy he, he obviously has a whole coaching background but uh, he's got a big kind of entertainment story around him as well so um, you know somebody like that like so you need you need people that have a bit of a story obviously so the coaching side of it is great and it's really interesting and you'll always learn something from somebody else but um, you know it's nice to have people that can that can carry the thing as well you know. Yeah, exactly. For you, Mike, during your playing career, was there any particular um points that you realised you wanted to coach? Was that more when you when you stopped playing? Um, yeah, you know, probably during training. Even at that, you're you're involved in in a little bit of the leadership stuff and 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 helping people and giving a bit of direction and and different things. So you know, there's always probably that little bit of it in you. Um, but the coaching, I suppose, I would have been working with the Kerry County Board at the time in a in a coaching capacity in the GA. Um, and then I would have done my kind of, you know, I, I would have done a master's in performance coaching. So I was always kind of in that direction, really. It was always something that I was passionate about. Um, so probably from an early age, to be fair, with the basketball and everything, it was it was always the direction that I was likely to head down, you know. OK. And how has your playing career influenced you as a coach? Is there anything you, you can kind of recognise or kind of realise when you're coaching? Jeez, you know, I've taken that from my playing days or I've kind of realised this from, yeah. from being an elite level athlete. 
Yeah, well, I suppose I was I was one of the people that was always kind of at the bottom end, struggling to 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 get minutes and fighting and scrapping and um and then not feeling the love from coaches or managers and and trying to find exactly what it was I needed to improve on to you know to be better in that sense. Um, so I think that gives you a kind of a sense of empathy for for the whole thing as well. That you know, not everybody is is the superstar and 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 the, the best athlete or the or the most skilled. But there is a, probably a role there for people, and 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 it's about trying to help people to to find that, I suppose, and to maximise their own ability to be able to perform and, and and give something of the team. So, I think that was probably the biggest thing that I took from my playing side. But obviously, there was other bits and pieces. And I had great managers and coaches that I was involved with in football and, and basketball across the years, and you're taking something from everybody. Uh, but I think the biggest thing was probably that sense of empathy that. Uh, you know, everybody's going through their own struggles or, or battles at that time and, and just to be cognizant of that all the time, no matter what their performance is like in training or in games, you know, there's a lot of reasons behind everything, you know. That's actually something I discussed with Clean O'Connor and it was, how do you keep the panel numbers from 27 to 35 engaged or even from a basketball sense, you know, you know, 11th, 12th man, even, you know, if you have 15 players and three of them aren't even on the score sheet, how do you keep those peripheral players engaged during the year? But when it's such a long season, they put in the same commitment as the, fir- the first starting 15. Yeah, it's very difficult, obviously. It's a, it's a real challenge. But I think the, the first thing you have to do is be very honest with people and, and, and make sure that people understand where they are. And um, and all they ever want to know is, how can I improve and how can I get better? And if I'm if I'm number 15 on a, an 11-man squad, how can I get into the squad, first of all? And then how can I go and get minutes and, and then be productive? And, and, and people want honesty. I mean, you can tell people lies and you can, you can candy call it for people, but ultimately that's not going to improve them and it's not going to give them a you know a, a real sense of direction of where they need to get to so i think you got to be really honest uh, in and not in a in a brutal way obviously but in a way that is is constructive and helping people to to see where they need to get to and if that's if that's a skills thing if that's a conditioning thing if it's an attitude thing i mean people sometimes don't be aware of these things until you know it's actually highlighted and and that's i suppose that's coaching and that's managing people it's being able to sit down and have a conversation with a person over a cup of coffee and or show them a couple of clips on, 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 you know, on Puddle or whatever it is, and you're trying to highlight these things for people. And, and ultimately, it's it's their responsibility to go in and take that information and use it as, you know, how they see fit. If they want to drive on and improve and really attack those things, then, then you know, they're going to improve and they're going to probably get into the rotation. But if they're not, you know, they'll probably stay where they are and, and, and go away giving out about the coach because they never got a fair break, you know? Yeah, exactly. Is that do you see that scope for the individual piece uh, at the intercountry level? That kind of I was talking to Philip Kerr about it before, and he does a lot of individual skills work. Is there a scope for that at the intercounty senior level? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, hundred percent. I think you know, like the skills, obviously, and and the conditioning, and like these guys are lifting weights and they're looking after the nutrition, they're looking after the psychological part of it. Um, but but like a lot, a lot of time, people just need to. You know, I, I think a lot of it is just about talking to people and, and building a relationship with people and, and, and that they feel comfortable enough to say, listen, uh, I'm not sure about this here. I think maybe we should try this. And, and it's about including them in that kind of a, that whole process as well, I suppose, you know, as opposed to just being ones that are there listening to, to you or somebody else talk about what's supposed to be going on. Uh, so it's like all of that is just about including people in, and, and giving them that sense of ownership over the whole thing. Um, and whether that's inter-county or it's under eights or under tens at, at club basketball or football or rugby, it doesn't matter. It's about including the players as much as you possibly can and giving them as much ownership over it because ultimately that's the way you're satisfying their kind of motivation to be there and, and, um, 
and that's all we want really we want the motivator to keep coming back whether that's again whether that's the smallies on a sunday morning or it's or it's your big people and we want them to make sure that they're improving and get the very most out of themselves and speaking of skills, what would be the most underrated skill in Gaelic football at the moment from your perspective? The most underrated skill? Um, it's probably like individually, there's, a, you know, there's different bits and pieces. You could say, you know, weak leg kicking or hand passing with our weak hand, all those kind of isolated things. But I think in general, it's, it's about developing a sense of, uh, of kind of collective attacking and defending, whether, whether it doesn't matter which it is. Uh, it's about everybody being on the same page and that there's a skill in the communication of that not in a coaching sense and then also in, in players being able to understand it um and i think that's something that's really strong in in, in basketball where there's less players and, and it's easier to communicate because everybody's winning your shot of each other uh, and i think communication is a really big part of that game from very early on whereas in gaelic football it's it's probably a little less so because the field is so big and there's so much noise and different things so I, I think the communication part of it and, and having that understanding that comes from communication is, is something that's a skill that that can definitely be improved all the time is there anything we've obviously seen gea take a lot of basketball terms and and plays and everyone talks about the backdoor cut and plenty of basketball stuff but is there anything that basketball could take from gaelic football do you do you think uh, well, well, the application of the players is 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 unbelievable in 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 GA, you know. And I mean, club level, into county level, it's obviously a different, you know, a different stratosphere, obviously. But um, like, it's just how the players apply themselves uh, to to the GA, especially the county level, is is just phenomenal, you know. Um, like, and people go on about sacrifice and all that, but it's not. It's a, it's about it's about fellas just really applying themselves fellas and girls to, to to get the very most out of themselves when they're playing. Um, like, I, I, you know, I've seen it for a number of years now, but uh, it's just gone to a, a real big level. Whereas when I was playing basketball, uh, it, it probably wasn't that same level of, of real dedication and application to the whole thing. You know, you played your basketball during the winter and, and then, you know, your summer was all playing football or whatever. So it was very seasonal. And that's probably changed now as well somewhat. But now, now this GA thing at that level is probably a 12-month-a-year conditioning, skills, football. What else can I do to improve? And um, that's really the biggest difference I've seen in, in the two sports is just that real dedication and application to the whole thing all year round. Mm. How do you learn as a coach, Mike? Who do you look to, and where you know resources wise, books wise, podcasts? Where do you where do you like to learn from? Everywhere, yeah, absolutely everything, anything I can find. You know, books. Um, like there's so so much good stuff on social media now. You you'll find clips everywhere, and that takes you down a rabbit hole, and you go looking in there, and you make contact there. I'm probably a little bit cheeky or bold. I, I reach out to different people, uh, send them a message, ask them. You know, could we talk? Could we set up a Zoom call? I, I, I've done that with people. Um, and most people I've found are actually really open and, and, and willing to do that once you're, once you're obviously not doing it in a, or sorry, once you are doing it in a, in a respectful way and people have time. Um, but I, I found people to be very giving of their time, especially people outside of Ireland when, when uh, maybe you're not talking about GA, people here who want to mind their own stuff a little bit more. Um, but everywhere really or yeah it's kind of I'm, I'm always looking for stuff you know I'm always looking for stuff and, and I'm, I'm always happy to help anybody that contacts me and say listen do you have something here and I like to give it out and I think if you're giving it out you know eventually it'll, it'll come back to you in a different way as well you know yeah exactly speaking of learning um, your time with Leash what was the biggest learning from that intercounty job um what was the biggest learning there was just so much there was so much to be honest like it was it was a you know, it was a relatively enjoyable experience for me. I, I, I had, 
I had never obviously managed it into county level before. It was my first, it was the first time I'd really stepped into that kind of arena. I went up to Leash. I didn't know anybody up there, literally nobody in, in, in the county. Um, so I had to put together a kind of a management team, panel of players, a backroom team, everything. So that was a huge experience for me, a learning experience about making those contacts and and, and network of people. Um, so that was huge in itself. Um, and then just the whole process was up and running and, and then suddenly we get hit with, with COVID. Um, so whether you had managed 20 years or, or, or two years, it didn't really matter because nobody had dealt with that problem before. And, and the uncertainty around that was probably the thing that really marred it for, for us. You know, we I was there for two years and the two years that, you know, COVID had had affected us uh, pretty, pretty dramatically as it did for the most of the country. So it was like we had our plan, obviously, and we were working towards something and then COVID hit. So then you got to pivot around and see, OK, well, how, how can we now move this stuff online and how can we stay in touch with players and make sure the players are OK during this whole thing? So it was a constant it was a constant learning curve, really, because, you know, we just didn't know when it was going to end, when we were going to get back on the field, what kind of shape we'd be when we did get back in the field. You know, some players were dealing with people at home who were in, in, in difficult situations and you're trying to be very respectful of that. And uh, and in football, obviously, wasn't a big priority for people at that time. So it was just uh, it was a real it was a real big kind of a learning curve all the way through. And um, to pick out one thing would be very difficult. It was probably just the human part of it was probably the most dramatic because there was definitely you know, there was a lot of people, a lot of people, not just in that group, but all over the place. Obviously, they were struggling with it. Um, and 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 to try and focus on Gaelic football at the time was was probably a little bit different, which was a struggle for for us because it was our priority, but not for everybody else. So the whole thing was just a bit a bit mad, but a very enjoyable mad, you know. How did you find the the role as the manager? Is did you have a lot of time? I know you're really big on coaching. Was there a lot of time that you gave to the coaching side of things? I know sometimes when you're dealing with so much, you know, so many of the roles as the manager, you might not yeah. have time to coach. How did you find that balance? Uh, yeah, I probably didn't get it great. I, I I was doing some coaching, um, not probably as much as I as I would like. Um, it is it is different. The management role is different, obviously, yeah, because you have. You know, I had guys with me, you know, that were very good at their job as well, coaches and selectors. And and you had to you have to give them enough time to, you know, to do what they want to do and, and to make sure that they're they're feeling that they're they're having a role in the whole thing. And that's important as well. And and you're trying to manage the minutes that everybody is getting as well as trying to get your own, you know, your own philosophy across through them and to the players. Um, so, yeah, I probably if I was doing it again, I'd probably have. I've you know definitely done a bit more of the coaching myself, but it's difficult because you're dealing then with you know a county board issue over here, or you're dealing with something over here to do with a pitch, or something over here to do with COVID. Um, so it's difficult to 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 put all your focus on that. Obviously, you know even even when training is going on, you know. How did you find then kind of going in with a different role with Kerry, not being the manager? I know you kind of spoke before your selector, but you were also an assistant coach. How did you find that kind of changing that role and going into an intercounty setup again, just in a different capacity? Yeah, it was different. Yeah, I, I had obviously I had obviously worked with Jack before Jack would have been a manager. Uh, he would have managed me obviously with Kerry, so I, I knew Jack well. And yeah, I, look, it was something. It was a great opportunity, obviously, to be to be. You know, anytime you're asked to be involved with your own county, and especially with with some of the players that are that are there at the moment, it was you know it's a you know it was a great privilege, obviously, but it was a great learning curve. I saw it as a great opportunity to to learn from Jack and learn from Paddy Talley and Murph and all the people that will be involved and to see that set up and and how it really operates at the very top of the tree. So it was a great opportunity. Um, the role, yeah, the role is different. Obviously, you're 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 going from 
like I said before, you're going from the bus driver to, to the bus passenger and or the bus rider, and you're trying to you're trying to find where you can add value, obviously, through you know, through stuff on the pitch, through stuff in video, through meeting players, to do all that stuff. Um, but without doing it in a way that you're not overstepping your boundaries. And it's just to try and find that way and find your role. But I think, you know, we we did that and Jack was very good with with giving people the kind of autonomy to be able to do that and, and to have an impact on the whole thing. So so it was really enjoyable, obviously. And it's easier, I suppose, for you know, when it's enjoyable or when you're winning, it's always enjoyable, I suppose. But it was it was good and it was a really good environment to be involved in. And and um yeah, it was it obviously finished off in a really, really good place, you know. Exactly. How did your role with Leash kind of change the way you would have gone into the Kerry setup, and not specifically about Kerry, but more as a, as a member of the back room? Like, as if you weren't, if you weren't, even have that experience as an intercounty manager, and you went in, let's say, a couple of years ago, compared to now, did you kind of even you mentioned like not overstepping the boundary? How did that time as your manager influence your role within within yourself, really, yeah. uh, within Kerry? Yeah, I, I think it just it gives you experience that that you wouldn't have otherwise. You know, it's it's it really was a move that kind of knocked me completely out of my comfort zone when I went to Leash. You know, it would have been easy for me to stay here and take a club side here and carry or get involved with the development squads or whatever it would. And that would be a nice, comfortable, safe space for me to be in. But by going up to Leash, you're really you're growing as a person, you're growing as a coach, a manager, you're you're learning and dealing with people that you've never met before who don't know you from Adam. And you have to you have to obviously show them your 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 value and your worth and how how you operate. Um, and then when you have that experience, it just it builds your own confidence as well that, you know, listen, I've been in this position. I've been in this role. I've gained this experience. Here's some of the things that I think would really benefit us in this situation. Um, and, and that's what that's what it is, really. It's just about picking these things up from everywhere, whether it's Lee Shirts or it's Kearns or Ali's, my own club when I was coaching there. Uh, or managing that team it's just about taking all these experiences from the basketball from everything and just trying to put them in together to add value wherever you are really and and I think once you're doing that you know you're 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 being fair enough with yourself you know I had an interesting question in from one of your former guests Ray Boy and he wanted to kind of speak about pathways um there was a lot of talk about Kerry's underage success obviously that five in a row minor Mm. title um is this the most effective pathway to building a senior championship winning team is that kind of you know even everyone speaks about Dublin their their development squads but that underage kind of setup is that the most effective way to building a senior winning team I don't know is the answer I don't know I don't know I think like there's obviously conflicting research there that would say, yeah, development squads can can certainly help you in that regard. And then there's also research that would say, well, you can interpret it to say, no, this isn't this isn't hugely um, you know conducive to developing senior footballers or senior any sports person. Um, I think we've seen there is a direct correlation between the development squads and the and the minor team's success. I mean, you have the vast majority of your players now that play for you know, your minor teams in most counties come from development squads and people can say, well, that's good or that's bad. Maybe you're not taking into account the late developer or, or the people that slip through the net. Um, so I, I'm not, look, I'm, I'm not actually, I'm not 100% sure. I think in Kerry, one of the things that they've done well is 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 they've always tried to keep the net as wide as it possibly can. So yes, you have your, your development squad kids who are getting um they're getting an advantage in that they're they're involved in a strength and conditioning program there which is really just injury prevention stuff and it's trying to help them develop the, the capabilities to lift weights as they get older it's not about lifting weights when they're 13 or 14 years of age it's about preparing their bodies for the the rigors of what's coming down the track um but they've always done a good job of of being a 
being available for the guy that, you know, this guy or girl never played with any team and it hasn't done anything, but he's after growing six inches and he's after really developing. Can we get him in? And there's never any issue with that. And I think I think that's the key part with, with development squads in some senses that some they start too young uh, and then they're just closed off that if I'm on the, you know, the under 13 development squad, I'm going to be a county minor or a county under 20. And it, it, it can't work like that. Like th- those people should be advantaged because they're in that setup. But it also has to be open to to people coming in from outside, and if it's not, I think you're that's that's doing a disservice to the kids, obviously. But if you're if you're if you're doing that, and then you're looking after, you're educating them in terms of their nutrition, you're helping them out with their schoolwork. How how can we make sure that we have good people in academics as well as the football side of it, um, and 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 that bigger, more holistic kind of view of the whole thing, as opposed to just trying to pump out footballers, footballers or hurlers, whatever it might be. Um, so I think Kerry have done a pretty decent job of, of taking that kind of wider view, but it's still, I still have different question marks over, over aspects of, of a lot of development squad stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. You had a great clip uh, from the Hogan Cup final, I think it was this year or last year, where the bell's behind the back basketball move. Oh, That's yeah. something that we've seen, you know, a lot of the studies kind of coming out with, you know, the more sports, the better, and possibly something that even you know, development squads might look down on as playing other sports, but from your perspective as a coach and your playing career, how is basketball and, and not only basketball, let's say soccer, other sports influence players that you've seen? Yeah, I I, I think there's no question that, that people that play uh, multiple sports when they're younger um, develop, you know, those, those more rounded skills, um, appreciation of space, just your peripheral vision, you know, your handling in terms of your football and your basketball. I don't think there's any question that 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 kids that have that background um, go on to, you know, be very proficient in, this, in the sport that they choose, whatever that might be. Um, and again, there's loads of different academic research that, that will back up. There's loads of famous athletes who have been multiple sport athletes uh, or, or players as, as kids and have gone on to be really successful in their own chosen sport. Um, I, I just think for me personally that that my view of it is very is very similar to that. I like my own kids here. I've got I've got twin boys that are eleven and a small girl who's nine, and I, I throw them into everything, whether it's swimming or golf or basketball or soccer or football, and, and let them play whatever it is they want to play. Uh, and ultimately, if they choose to play Gaelic football or basketball or something, or when they're older, then I know that everything they've done in terms of the coordination and hand eye stuff is just going to be you know, very beneficial to when they get older. Uh, and again, there's loads, there's loads of stuff there that you can see. And like the basketball, you, you look now at, at football, if you're talking about an inter-county team that are training as often as they're training, like you need to pull from these other sports to to keep the training engaging and, 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 and to really have people thinking about what they're doing. Because if you're doing the same stuff that we've been doing for the last hundred years, it just gets old and, and people stop improving. So it's about you know, taking the good bits from all these other sports and incorporating them into what we do and, and try to make it as, as good as we possibly can. How do you measure a successful training session, Mike? Is there anything that you kind of base it on? Is it just the feel? What, how do you base a successful session? I suppose, it, again, it depends on, on what you were looking to get out of the session and and, and uh, what stage of the year you're at, what team you're working at. I mean, at inter-county level, there's loads of different metrics in, in terms of the physical metrics in your GPS and have we hit all those physical markers. Um, there's loads of you know stuff we can look at in terms of number of ball contacts people are getting during skill sessions and you know how many are we getting with our left or right, both sides of the body, all those different things. Um, and in the football sense, 
or whatever, again, whatever sport it is you're saying, but we're, we're looking at what are we actually trying to get out of the session? So what, what's our what's our aim for the session? Obviously, we'd have it planned out and say, okay, here are the two or three priorities that we're looking to work on this session. Uh, and then you have your your couple of game-based scenarios built into that where, where we're really trying to develop and build up to what it is that we're trying to get at. We're, we're stopping, we're asking the players questions. We're saying, okay, this is your team, that's your team. You've got 60 seconds. I want you to pick something that wasn't really working so well and come back with two solutions to that. Same thing with this group. Hear what they have all done in about two, three minutes, and then we're back into playing. Um, so it depends, really. It's very hard to hard, hard to hard to judge it. Sometimes you go away from a session and you might say that wasn't really good, uh, but the players might have got an awful lot out of it themselves. They might have had an opportunity to say, look, I, I think this this really would work better if we try this. Uh, and that's that's a that's a really good outcome from a session if, if the players themselves are in that kind of a space. So there's loads of different things really, but it, there's nothing you could really nail down as a, a real marker of of it's a definitive five out of ten because of this, you know. For you, when you mentioned like GPS, as we mentioned statistics, you know, there's a big argument. You see it on Twitter where it's like, and even I think Lee Keegan came out to speak about it. But when players, let's say, for example, you have a team average of 10 or 12 kilometers and a full forward average is 2.5, but a scored, you know, you never see the impact of their scoring. Yeah. How much do you, how much influence do you take from the likes of the stats from the GPSs into your coaching? And do you think we've really gone overboard in GEA in terms of you have to hit a thousand sprint meters in this session and, yeah. and all these different uh, figures you see thrown around? Yeah, uh, like it can be just like people can get carried away with numbers and GPS. Uh, I, I think like the GPS is a is a really useful training tool, basically. You know, that's that's what it is. It can be, you know, if you're looking at a football session or, or whatever session and, and you're saying like that was really I thought that was a really good session. It looked really quick. Um, it looked like everybody was was getting on the ball. Everybody was moving. Everybody was doing whatever. And then you look at the GPS and you kind of say, well, yeah, the numbers in the GPS like back up what, what I thought with my own eyes. So then that, that's great and you move on. And and maybe there's maybe the GPS will show you that, okay, we were down on certain aspects of, of the physical markers that you need to be hitting to make sure that we're not, you know, leaving ourselves open to hamstring injuries or whatever. So then maybe, maybe there's a little top-up needed in terms of accelerations or decelerations because we didn't hit enough. And and that's that's about injury prevention and making sure that we have everybody on the field all the time because we're not going to be picking up these kind of injuries. But in general, the GPS certainly the way that, that we were operating was was a was a was a training aid or a training tool um and jason mcgahan who would be the the head of athletic development Kerry, is you know he's an outstanding outstanding with, with everything he does but he's on top of all that stuff and and again would be of the same kind of viewpoint that this is this is an aid to what we do in the field but nothing nothing supersedes the work that's done with the ball on the pitch that's the most primary the, the most important thing that you can do every session, every game, obviously. No point hitting 15 kilometers if you, you know, if you haven't touched the ball or you haven't done anything useful with it, obviously. That actually came up on Twitter recently. There was a study done where, or I'll send you the link, I can't remember the exact stats or the information on it, but it, he basically made the argument that um, it doesn't really make a difference when you're training with the ball as opposed without it. Is that something that you would advocate for as training, running with the ball, always having the ball in your hands? Is that something that you would you would be a fan of? Yeah, well, like, I mean, like the vast majority of sessions that I've ever been involved in have, have been, you know, all about the ball, really. Um, and again, you know, like, is there a bit of running that has to take place? And is there a bit of running that's done without the ball? There is. But it's, it's a small, it's a very small percentage of the time um, that, that, you're, that you're spending training. Uh, and I, I think, like, from a player's point of view, 
like if you played any, whatever sport you've ever played, like the fun is when you have the ball. The fun is when you are having to make decisions and, you know, take a shot or make a pass or make a defensive play. Like that's the stuff that, that engages players and that really has them like improving and wanting to come back. So the idea of like spending like 20% or 30 or 40% of your session, just running up and down without a ball, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, is there is there a little bit of room for that, even for the psychological idea of, okay, look, I'm after putting in a bit of hard work. Of course there is, yeah. You know, now, now players are feeling that I have put in something hard. I've got a lot of cash in the bank, you know, and, and this is really useful. Um, but it's still like the real quality stuff and the vast, vast majority of everything that we do is always, is always in terms of the ball. What has been the most effective form of teaching that you found with players at any age or any standard? Is there any particular method that you like using or, or, go, or go to? I, I, I think the more like since 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 I've started, uh, the biggest improvement that I've made and, and that I've seen in terms of coaching with other coaches is the use of questioning. It's 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 asking questions of the players it's not like coaching is not an opportunity for the coach to to show everybody how smart he or she is it's about giving the players the opportunity to take ownership of the situation that they're in uh, and asking them the questions even if you already know the answer that they're going to give asking them the questions allowing them the time and the freedom to figure out the answer for themselves to come up with a solution for themselves and then let to empower them by saying okay let's go try that right now this scenario here we go play um, and that to me is the most effective way that that we can we can really empower our players which is all we're ever trying to do mm. how do you deal or manage when a player is questioning uh, your tactic or you know particular something in training <laughs> how do you, like it's, it's an interesting uh, topic for any coach of any sport is yeah. how to deal with when you're questioning players when they question you how do you manage that yeah well i i think you have to know the why of of what you're doing you know and if you're planning out your sessions you you have to you have to know exactly why we're doing what we're doing. Um, so if we're if we're talking about it, you know, like we were just talking about doing stuff with the ball, like if we're if we're playing any kind of a game, like and a player comes to you and says, look, wow, like I don't see the relevance of this game. Why this has nothing to do with the way we play. Uh, you have to know why you're you're playing that game. Like it, it's it's because this is maybe what we're trying to move to in something else, and this is the way we're going to trade or transition from attack to defense or whatever it is. You have to have you have to know why you're doing that. And if and if there is no why, if there is no logical reason that you're doing it, well then you shouldn't be doing it. And the player's right; he should be asking you why why are we doing this because it's got nothing to do with the way we're playing. Um, so I think I think planning your session starts starts every time with with. Why? Like, what are we? What are we doing? And what is the reason that I'm doing this? And if there isn't a very, very, very valid reason, then it shouldn't be in your session. So that that's like probably a long way of saying like, if somebody is coming to you saying, I, I don't really know why we're doing it. Uh, if you don't, if you don't have that good answer for them, well, well, they're they're right, obviously, and and you shouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. A question that came up before with guests was games-based coaching. How much? Mm. How much do you look for games-based coaching? How much do you kind of incorporate that into your session? Yeah, it'd be it'd be the vast majority of of, of what you're doing. Yeah, like there's a bit of skill stuff, obviously, and you know, getting getting people touches. Uh, but the vast majority of it is 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 games. Um, and again, that might be like you know one on ones or two on twos or five on five, whatever it might be before you build up to your, 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 your bigger stuff. Um, but games is games are definitely the biggest, the biggest part of, um, of, of inter-county training sessions of, of every, every, every session, club session, it doesn't matter. Like if, if the biggest, 
I, and I always go back to the biggest reason that people lose games outside of your skill set or, 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 or talent uh, or fitness is, is our decision making. And like our decision making is so crucial. And you go to any game next weekend and you see people kicking the ball away or striking the ball away or throwing it away in a basketball game. And, and the crowd will be saying, like, what are you doing? Like, why did you make that decision? So our decision-making is so, so important. So that's why if you've got these people for two or three sessions a week, you have to be spending so much time on, on playing these games and putting them in positions where they're forced to make decisions that they're going to make in a game. And again, like, whether that's two-on-two, two, now I've got more touches and I've got more decisions to make and it's going to happen really quickly because there's a defender right here um, or it's five-on-five five or whatever it might be. Decision making and touches are the two things that are 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 obviously most important. Mm-hmm. I wanted to quickly touch on Clifford, um, someone I, I don't think I'm going to get him on the podcast, and I certainly won't ever see him train. But give us a bit of an insight into into David Clifford, what you've seen from him. Like we obviously see on the pitch what he does, but in training, you know, what's he doing? What's he practicing? Even by himself, I saw in a takeover, he does ten minutes of skills work a day. Just give us a bit of an insight into what it takes to to be such a great footballer on the pitch when you kind of go behind the scenes and the unseen errors. As I yeah, it. I suppose like like he and many of them, like it's. You know, people kind of talk about, you know, he's, he's talented and he's very talented and all this. But like talent, talent is really just another word for hard working. You know, um, like you don't get to that level of performance without putting in an amazing amount of work, you know, to get to that point. Um, and that's the same as like, obviously, David is David applies himself, you know, at, at an incredible level. But everybody, everybody that's playing in the county level that's kind of the standard of, of maybe not his, his, where he's after reaching, but in terms of the application to your skills and to improvement, that's, that's really the, the biggest difference between all of these fellas is that it's not about practicing once a day or, tw- or, or once a week or twice a week with your club or your, or your, your county. It's the stuff that you're doing on the Monday, the, the Tuesday, the Wednesday, the Thursday, the Friday, the Saturday. And it's that application to constantly looking for improvement whether that's on the field with the ball whether that's with your diet whether that's whatever looking at video and saying well what do you think we could do here how could i how could i improve this here constantly seeking and he, and he's one of those guys he's a he's just a a monster for for improvement every every night every time he's on the field every time he's off the field it's how can he get better and he comes across with his lovely demeanor and he's nice and calm and he's cool and everybody likes him and he's he's a great guy but like you just don't you don't get to that point without having like an insatiable appetite for improvement and and i could i could say that about the vast majority of them to be fair like you have you have that kind of an environment and that culture where where people aren't just taking it for granted and they're not just clocking in for training. It's about like, it's such it's, and it's so difficult to get to that point, but it's such an insatiable desire to just improve every single session and not stay where you were. Like I could, like if you play, if you play, I play golf badly, I play golf. So I would have taught a couple of years ago, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a decent golfer. I play off around 10. So I'm okay. You know, I'm not great. I'm not terrible. I don't embarrass myself with a group of people anymore, but like I can play off that. So I would have taught maybe a couple of years ago, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm decent enough at golf. Now I look back on two years ago and I'm saying, Jesus, I was absolutely, I'm so much better now than I was two years ago. Um, and I think, I think a lot of people are, are a bit like that with our football or whatever. We look back and we say, geez, I, I thought I was really good at that stage, but I wasn't. And that just comes with improvement and practice and 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 being dedicated to the whole grind of the whole thing. And and he, I suppose, as much as anybody else, really kind of embodies that approach to 
constantly looking to improve. What I love about watching him is obviously his skills and everything is so fine. Dude, even his strength this year, people are talking about it went off the charts, but his feel for the game, that he can apply what he practiced into it. Like you see that dummy he had and the internet nearly broke with it, like on Twitter. But like, how do you coach the feel of the game to a player? Is that, like, is it situational? Is it games-based? How do you develop that feel, not only the, the kind of the skills and the things we, we try to train on? Well, it's not, it's not true drills or running. You know, it's it's about it's about how many times can you put these guys into these situations where they have to they have to throw that dummy solo, they have to throw the dummy hop, they have to play a quick little one two through traffic and get back on the end of things, or they have to decide that it's not on. And I got to recycle the ball and get it back out of there. Um, you only you only do that by by putting them in those positions as often as we possibly can. And again, like that can be like whatever club you're involved in, whatever, you know, team, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. If it's a basketball team at under 15s, like you, you can't, you know, be on a three on two break and keep messing up the layup, you know, and, and then thinking that we'll, we'll run up and down the court or we'll do a hand, uh, you know, a passing drill that's going to improve it. It's not, it's by, it's by constantly putting them in that situation over and over again until that decision-making really improves until they've seen pretty much everything that the defense can throw at them. Uh, and then now they've been able to kind of work around that and think around it and be able to find the answer. And that's, that's the key. And that's the magic of coaching, I suppose. It's just about coming up with those situations and putting the players in those situations and trying to replicate the pressure that they'll feel when they come up against a certain opponent or whatever. A universal topic that's come up nearly with every guest um, was time management as a coach. Obviously, we all, you know, within the, uh, most of the Irish uh, sporting organisations and particularly GEA, we're all amateurs in terms of we all have a full-time job. How do you balance everything? You know, you've mentioned your family, but how do you balance football and life and, and work? And how, what, what's your experience like with it? Um, well, I'm just after starting a new job. Actually, now I'm after starting above in the uh, Munster Technology Technology University up here in the North Campus as the GA officer. Um, so that helps a little bit. Uh, now it's still very busy, and like we we've, we've got freshers uh, on campus this week now for the first week, and um, and it's very very busy, obviously, and it's exciting because they're all, all our GA teams are are just starting around the time. Um, but this split season helps, honestly. It's it's uh, like now we've got a lot of club action down around here, as it, as most of the country has, obviously. Um, so it's a, it's a good time. It's a nice to get a break, and it's a nice you know short window. So you can you can go through December and January, February, March, and it's crazy with the national league, absolutely just bonkers because you've got week on you know game every week, and you're trying to do some you know your video stuff. You're preparing for training. You know, they're in the gym the next night. You got your training again. You're trying to prepare for the next team with your video stuff, and then you're into a game, and the cycle just goes again for about six or eight weeks. Um, but it's hugely enjoyable, and and it's really it's really rewarding, obviously, when you're inside in that side of it. But then it's really nice to say, well, the longest this can go is to the 20th of July. It was this year, and then from July you're able to go in. You know, you're able to plan your two week holiday in France with the family. You're able to do your other stuff and you have a nice little little bit of a downtime. So I think it's just understanding the cycle of it really and 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 knowing my my wife and family have been involved in it now for a number of years, obviously, and it was a lot more demanding when I was driving up and down to Leash. Uh, so having to just go out to Kearns or out to Clarny from Tralee here is a lot more manageable and I'm around a lot more. So it's um it's good. But it's it's not even the time you're physically away it's it's and mentally it's the time that you're devoting to the whole thing during the season and the number of phone calls and the number of meetings and the number of all that that's the stuff that can wear on you but again 
you know, when when you're when you're in a kind of an environment that, that I'm lucky enough to be in right now, it's it's um, you know it's a bit easier. How do you learn and uh, for your own experience as a coach, you ever reflect on your your own approach or teaching people? Yeah, I've heard coaches before they kind of record themselves, they have a microphone and they video themselves. Is that how do you how do you reflect and, and improve yourself as a coach? Yeah, that's that's a good way, obviously, because you don't appreciate you don't appreciate what you're doing and you know in the moment of it and and, and most of our sessions with with Kerry would be would be video recorded and stuff and unfortunately you can you can hear yourself after bits and pieces of it. I actually came up the road here. We 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 train. I train uh, with our my 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 son's under eleven team, and we were training only a couple of weeks, well, two weeks ago or whatever. And I came up and I had to, I was apologizing to my two kids coming up the road. I was like I was I was doing too much shouting today. I knew it, and and one fellow was like, yeah yeah, you probably were. So they they'll tell me pretty quickly if I'm if I'm uh, if I'm you know stepping over the line. So I'll take take some of my own medicine and and uh, and and you know what? It's it's I, I knew myself. I knew myself. I'm below there and I'm. I'm like, you know, trying to encourage kids and I'm trying to do this and I'm saying, as I'm doing it, I'm saying, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be shouting, like you shouldn't be doing this. And I'm coming up the road and I'm saying, and, and then you're harder on your own two kids than you are on anybody else. And you're saying, that's just, you know, really stupid. What are you doing now at this stage? And like to actually go and apologize to my kids and be like, okay, yeah, sorry. And they're like, yeah, that's okay. Just don't do it again. And, you know, so you're learning all the time. And, and like, You'd say it's, you know, you're talking about inter-county stuff, but that's that's under 11s below, you know, five minutes from my door and and really fun and enjoyable stuff and great crack with the kids. And like, and there's loads of learnings to be had from that, you know? So uh, it's just a constant search, yeah, constant journey to, to try and improve all the time, you know? What's more challenging, the under 11s or the Kerry Super Bowl? Uh, I'm telling you, you, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. At least at least the under 11s, you know, they listen all the time, but uh, I'm not sure about the Kerry boys. But uh, no, it's good. It's good. It's, you know what? It's really, it's really, obviously, it's the complete opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of the level and the quality and the skill that you're dealing with. Uh, but it's great fun. I really, I really enjoy working with the under 11s. You know, it's just... They're, they're kids just learning and starting out and they have a real kind of innocent joy for the game and um, it's great. Yeah, I, I enjoy it, to be fair. I knock great value out of it. Brilliant. How do you deal with players that don't accept responsibility um, and how do you teach them that accountability part when, you know, when let's say something doesn't go right for them, they're blaming, you know, they blame you and they point to somebody else and, well, he didn't do this to help me and yeah. how do you bring that back to the player and kind of get them to realise, you know, you really have to accept your own responsibility on the pitch? Yeah, I, I think that's probably like that's a long uh, process like that's not that doesn't happen in one moment or, or in one incident or whatever. That's something that like uh, that's your your culture, the environment that you're you're trying to operate in. And it's about how you how you sustain that throughout the season, really, and the standards that you set. Um, most guys know most guys that I've come across in leash or are in carry at that at that top bracket you know, the vast majority of fellas understand that, you know, it's down to themselves really. Yeah, you you've a few fellas that are that are always kind of looking for maybe an excuse or whatever. But the vast, vast majority of fellas understand that if I if I need to, if I want to improve and I want to get on the team and I want to play and I want to stay on the team, it's down to it's down to myself really. It's about what I can bring to the whole thing. Um so there isn't I, I don't think guys that have that kind of, you know, that are looking for excuses. I don't think those guys really get to that kind of level. Uh, yeah, you've seen, I've seen plenty of them at, at club level, 
you know, where it's always the manager's fault or, you know, because you didn't like my father and my father didn't, you know, that kind of stuff goes on all over the place, especially at that level. We don't see a whole pile of that, you know, at, at Intercounty. Guys are, guys are there because they understand, you know, that it's a great opportunity for them and, and, and it's obviously a big, you know, commitment to do that. And if you're going to make that commitment, then you're going to put in as much effort as you possibly can. And, and you're going to be constantly searching for ways to improve. And I think guys at that level are, are you know, they're, they're happy to take the responsibility because they understand that there's, you know, there's a reward at the end of it. There was a really good question on the Draymond Green podcast. Or it wasn't a question, it was more kind of a topic that came up. And it's something I love asking is when you get to an elite level, let's say Intercounty, for example, what separates the great players from the rest of the pack? Is there a mm. pattern you see within the top elite players? What What is that X factor that separates them from the rest? Yeah, I'm like, I'm not sure if it's if it's an X factor. I think it's I don't know if it's as kind of, you know, snazzy as that I I honestly think it's it's something as boring as as a as that kind of obsessive application to getting better. Um, it's it's something Kobe Bryant used to often speak about and really looking forward to that documentary actually that's coming out in, in October about the Redeem team. And it looks really good, yeah. But it's like it's just you know it's getting it's getting there. It's all the cliched stuff. It's getting there early. It's getting your kicks. It's staying there late. It's watching the videos. It's asking questions of the coaches to say, look, what like what is this here? If he's playing me like this, what do you think I could do here differently? And then tries to use that and see, okay, not sure if that worked well. So it's a it's just that really like I and fellas are looking for kind of a magic bullet or say, look, if I do this here or if I was on a development squad or if I, you know, spend, you know, five thousand euros on a pair of leggings and gonna it's nothing like it's about it's about that complete obsessive application to improvement. Um and can I can I just get better every single time I'm on the pitch or I'm thinking about it or I'm not on the pitch? How do I improve? And like I, I think you look at your your guys, like you look at the performance of Shane Welsh in the final or, or David Clifford in the Ireland football final or you know Shawnee Shea in many games, all, all these fellas, you know, your Dublin guys, all of them. Like it's just you don't get there unless you have that appetite for work and improvement all the time. And 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 that's the only secret behind it, I think. What's been the biggest lesson you've learned from sport, Mike, whether through coaching, playing, any anything for you? Um you never, you're never, you're never as good as as the wins, and you're never as bad as the losses, uh, and that and that results or titles or whatever else is probably the worst indicator of of you know coaching, uh, how good of a coach or a manager you are, you know titles and 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 uh, and wins and losses probably aren't the best barometer of of judging, you know what quality of work that you did to, you know, you put into a project because like you can, you can be a, you know, a fantastic coach and you, you mightn't, you mightn't get to where you want to get to. And, and, and the perception is ah, that that's not great. Or you might be a t- terrible coach and you might, you know, find that you get a couple of breaks and you win a title or you, you know, do something special. And uh, it's just timing. A lot of this is timing, but I think the, the like early on, I used to get really, you know, you'd be everybody, you'd be so down after a bad loss and then you'd get high after a big win and you think, oh, well, maybe we're on the way and then you're down again. So it's, it's about just trying to find that even keel all the way along and not, not get too high and not get too low and understand that there's there's more to coaching than, than just the titles that come off the back of it, you know? 
Brilliant. What's been the best advice you've received from any coach, uh, whether it's through playing, through your own coaching, starting off? Uh, what is it, what's the best advice you've received? Uh, a couple, like one of the one of the basketball coaches that I had when I when I was starting out, he, he told me write write everything down, keep a journal, write it down. If you if you come across a good book, if you come across a good drill, if you come across a good game, just write it down, jot it down, and and keep a record of it. And like he must have told me that. Jesus, what what are we now? Twenty two. Like I'm I'm probably twenty years or so at this stage, and I've got I've got about eight or ten different kind of journals thrown around the house and stuff. Um, with with a completely just random collection of, it could be a a movie or it could be a drill or it could be anything, and I just um kept a record that I can go back on and look on and find something and say, oh yeah, that was, that was, that was good. That was, I like that. I can use that now or whatever. So uh, yeah, write, write it down. Keep a record of it. Brilliant. I do the same with my own, I have my notebook here beside me. Uh, if I could give you the key to visit any team in the world of any sport, who would it be and why? Jeez. Yeah. Key to visit a team of any sport. Yeah. Um, I was really, I was, I was up at the, the college football um, in the Aviva there two weeks ago and I was just taken back by the, by the just the vastness of the of the whole thing, really, you know, did like there was coach, there was a coach out on the sideline calling the play, and there was three people standing behind him with big massive boards just blocking the crowd from being able to see what the call was, so they couldn't be videoed. And um, so wow. I was kind of fascinated by the, the college football. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, now that coach has actually been sacked since in Nebraska. He he got sacked about two weeks later. Yeah, but. Um, but I, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to get in around one of those kind of uh, college football teams and, um, Nick Potter, I, I, I had him on, on my podcast there. He's, um, he's involved with Duke basketball with, uh, coach K obviously left last year, but he's, uh, he's another guy that I'd love to get over to Duke to spend a little bit of time over there to see how they operate because they're just, you know, from, from a basketball fans point of view, like they're, they're the Mecca of college back basketball, obviously. And this guy has worked with all of them. And, um, so I'd love to spend a little bit of time over there as well. Yeah. I think the college stuff in the States is such a big industry and such, such massive opportunity for people. It's, it's, um, it's, it's nice to be able to see it from the inside, you know? I'm only back from the States myself and I got a chance to go in with a couple of teams, just a particular mention to the Stanford women's team. Right. If you're over there, get in there. It's uh, oh, it's another, I can tell you another time off the podcast, yeah. it's just something else. But until then, we're going to move on to Sideline 7, brought to you by RTP Physiotherapy, founded by chartered physiotherapists Tony Fox and Thomas Dibbity. The guys are based in St. Jude's J Club in Temple Oak in Dublin. RTP specialise in physiotherapy, return to play, physical health, performance. You can visit rtp.physio for more. Mike, question one, what is your favourite quote? Favourite quote? I, I've probably said it about 10 times. Uh, it's It's uh winning is being better today than you were yesterday i think it was it was frank frank dick uh, an athletics coach that had a, i had it out on twitter there a while ago but that's yeah that's the one winning is being better today than you were yesterday every day brilliant question two what's the best sporting event you've been to and you pick one as a coach slash player or one as a fan Ooh, um really enjoyed it. i was at a, at a giants and packers uh american football game in december a couple of years back about two foot of snow over in in New York or in Brooklyn or wherever it was. It was yeah, that was really really fun, really enjoyable, great atmosphere and something very very different. Um, and then yeah, you take take probably your All Ireland even semi final this year against Dublin. The last couple of minutes, last twenty minutes was just was was an electric kind of an atmosphere, you know. How do you not get caught up in the the atmosphere during a game, or are you kind of how do you 
take away from the buzz, you know, that could impact you really. And I know you spoke before when Shawnee was taking the kick, you were halfway through picking your team for the extra time. Yeah, we were, we were, we were trying to, we were trying to, cause obviously you can pick a whole new team for extra time. You don't, you can, you can start wherever you want. So that's what we were doing. Yeah. Because sure you're always preparing for the worst case scenario in that situation, I suppose, you know, uh, but I was glad to tear up that piece of paper as the ball sailed over the bar. Good stuff. Uh, question three, what's been the biggest setback or challenge so far in your career and how did you react to it? Yeah, I probably haven't, you know, like I, I probably wouldn't see anything as a major setback or challenge. I've never had any major injury problem. The biggest challenge for me was always, you know, like the scrapping for minutes and 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 scrapping to 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 get meaningful kind of playing time. Now it was very, very different in basketball, obviously, but in, in football that was the thing. So it was it was to marry that notion in my own head that yeah, you you're here in the basketball and you're here in the football, and it was just that constant, you know, scrap and scrape to improve and, and to get time. So that was probably the biggest challenge, which really isn't all that bad of a challenge or a or a major setback to have to go through, you know. What would be your biggest achievement then on or off the pitch? Um, again, I wouldn't be big on on like, you know, your your titles and different things. I had a lot of success in, in basketball and football and different things and um but I'm probably lucky enough now that I'm I'm where I am involved with Kerry. I'm lucky I have a healthy, happy family, young kids and stuff. Um we get out and we play our football and our golf and our basketball. So I'm I I, I, I take that as an achievement really, you know. Looking back, what advice would you give eighteen year old self? Um I I'd go back to my I I I'd go back to my man and and be better today than than you were yesterday. I think that was I think if 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 I had that and I lived through that when I was eighteen, I, I you know I think it's a good way. Whether you're eighteen or sixty eight, it doesn't really matter. It's a it's a good way to go and approach your life. Brilliant. Who would be your dream dinner guest and why? And you can open up the table to a few people if you want. Uh, dream dinner guest, yeah. Um. I'd like, I'd like, I'm actually reading his book at the moment, Obama, President Barack Obama, and it's a book, it's about that size, it's a bit of a read, but uh, I think he'd be a fascinating kind of a character, throw in Michael Jordan or somebody and, and get his get his couple of stories. Um, yeah, anybody like that, Joe Rogan, I'm listening a little bit of Joe Rogan, I'm not sure about him right now, but you know, I think he's he's he's, uh, he's a comedian, He's got he'd have something to keep us going, you know? Yeah, what did you, how did you find The Last Dance? Was there any particular takeaway you, you got from the series? Um, there was, there was different things. I just thought it was, first of all, it was cool to have that kind of footage and you'd love to, you'd love to have that kind of stuff in, in GA circles. It would be really class to have that with some, you know, football. I know there's bits and pieces done, but it'd be really cool. Uh, yeah, he was just, he was like, he was just insatiable himself about, about improving. And, and if you weren't at his level, he, he would just absolutely dog you. And now he obviously stepped over the line a lot of times. And, and I'm sure like a lot of Luke Longley and Bill Winnington, these fellas wouldn't have said he was a great teammate, but um, he was just a different kind of an animal. Yeah, he was a different animal, but fascinating. Final question before I let you go. If your life was a book, what chapter would this be called? If my life was a book, what chapter would this be called? Um... Jeez, I'd go with I go with uh the grind. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm still working my way through stuff here. I've still got a lot to lot to go and a lot to learn. And uh I'm I'm thinking I'm in that kind of process right now. So yeah. Okay, brilliant. Is there any young coach or anyone that wants to pick your brain about anything we've discussed or any ideas they have, where's the best place to get in touch? Uh you can send me a message on Twitter or something like that. Yeah, no bother at all. Yeah, I'm I'm I've I've plenty of people that kind of reach out to me at different times. So yeah, no problem. It's at Mike Quirk. 
uh, you'll find me on, yeah, just have a search on Twitter and yeah, send me a message and I'll, I'll come back to them no problem at all. Perfect. Mike, this was brilliant. I uh, really appreciate you coming on and best of luck with next season. But impo- most importantly, the podcast when it makes it a return. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I, 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 if, I can get, if I can get Rick Pitino, I'll definitely make a go of it. <laughs> Good stuff. Cheers, Mike. No hassle. A big thanks to Mike for joining me on the podcast today. I thoroughly enjoyed our chat and I hope you got something from it. I'll be sure to leave all of his social media links in his podcast in the description box below. As always, if you do enjoy the podcast, please do leave a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as it does help the show grow. Don't forget to check out the website, thesidelinelive.com for more and our Instagram at thesidelinelive.